welcome to the 22nd episode of the Economical Rice Podcast. I'm your host Danny and over here we have to serve you the grains of capitalism. Now, for those of you interested in economic affairs and policy decisions of our nation, this week was significant as our Minister of Finance, Heng Sui Kiet, delivered Singapore's budget for 2018. Typically, the budget presentation is itself pretty uneventful. The minister will give an overview of state spending and revenue over the past year, as well as forecasts or potential gaps to fill in the future. However, there are some interesting issues up for discussion in this year's budget, and in the months beforehand, several of our nation's leaders have preempted the topics at hand, which included the likes of Prime Minister Lee Hsien Loong commenting on how future tax increases may be needed to keep up with growing state spending, or how Indrani Raja, Senior Minister of State for Law and Finance, has noted that they are studying how to tax e-commerce. Since increases in state spending or increases in tax are issues that directly affect the day-to-day lives of individuals, I thought it would be helpful to provide a breakdown of each new policy as well as its implications. Now, today's episode will therefore provide highlights of this year's budget, you know, what actually happened, the policies that were actually introduced, compared to what was expectation, what, what was expected, as well as any new policies passed or how it was how reasonable it is given the current economic condition. With me today to discuss the budget is Wesley Go, who I've met through the network at Students for Liberty and who has an interesting project at hand to share. So, without further ado, let's get on to the episode. Wesley, welcome to the show. Hi, Danny. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Yep, it's a pleasure having you here as well. All right, so before we begin talking about the budget, right, could you tell us a little bit more about who you are as a person? Sure. Um, I'm currently a third-year economics and finance undergraduate mm-hmm. at the University of Western Australia in Perth. Yeah. <clears throat> so aside from my studies, I take great interest in political economy, and as such, I'm also volunteering as a content manager at the Adam Smith Center in Singapore. Yeah, that's that's wonderful. And... You know, this, this is a particularly a big reason why I wanted to do an episode with you is because I noticed that on Facebook, you're involved with something called the Innovation Campaign. So could you tell us a little bit more about this project? Yep. So the Innovation Campaign is an initiative started by the Adam Smith Center in Singapore. Mm-hmm. And we promote the importance of entrepreneurship and harnessing the potential of permissionless innovation. Mm. So to briefly describe uh, permissionless innovation is a policy approach that encourages innovative new technologies to be freely permeated into societies mm. unless a telling case can be made that it is causing serious harm to people and societies. Yeah, yeah. This is certainly, you know, in the context of Singapore, it's, I, I think this is a slightly more radical approach. You know, we've seen so many disruptive industries come into the market with the likes of bike sharing, home sharing, and, you know, car sharing, ride sharing, right? But then the government is yep. always trying to be a bit more intrusive. So, so then in your view, you know, you, you brought up this point about permissionless innovation. Then why do you, why do you think it is so important? Well, because innovation has always been a key driver to human progress and a great contributor to our standards of living. Uh, thus, you know, permissionless innovation allows us to harness the full potential of technological progress without sight from some authorities that think what technologies may be good or may not be good for you. Yeah, yeah. Certainly, it's uh, advocating for more sort of uh, individual freedoms, lah. Yeah, in that sense. Yep. Yeah. All right, that's wonderful. So, you 
post a bunch of uh, great articles on uh, on the innovation campaigns, uh, Facebook page, talking about this industry, that breaking new industry and that. So what are some particular innovations that you're really excited about? So I'm particularly interested about Tesla and SpaceX. Uh, mm. I know they're quite mainstream companies themselves, but uh, these companies, to me, are a testament to the abilities of private corporations. Yeah. Uh, for example, you know, SpaceX was only established in 2002, and it only took them 16 years to surpass like NASA's rocket tank. So it, it would be an exciting future to look forward to, you know, when these two companies eventually achieve an economies of scale, when the technology is e- easily accessible to everyone and affordable to the masses. Yeah, yeah, I, I think that's a wonderful point uh, that you brought up. Uh, you know, talking about increasing access and affordability to the market, yeah. right? Because you know now we're, we're, we're before before companies such as Tesla and SpaceX, you know, came up with ideas to sort of commercialized space travel, right? Mm-hmm. Who who were the only ones who got who got to travel to space? Is there people who are involved with, with uh government, right? Or or these are uh, government funded missions and stuff like that. Yep. yep. You know, here here is entrepreneurs trying to try to literally trying to uh explore the final frontier yep. and, and open up the capabilities of, of mankind. And with and with the end of the Cold War you can see that governments are no longer prioritizing space uh innovation. Yeah. So it has kind of uh, stagnated in terms of technological progress. It, it is a little bit wasteful, right? Because like space has always brought so much mystery and uh, you know, you know, so much uh, excitement, and, and you know, it, it sort of captures the imagination for so many people. And yet, if government is not involved, you know, some no no one's going to take the risk. But of course, there's always a private industry, yeah, that that can always take these risks as long as there's a market for it, lah. Yeah. So now that we've gotten to know you a little bit better, I think it's uh, I think it's good to transition towards discussing the budget in proper. And I want to begin by going with starting with discussing with a, with a broad overview of uh, the budget highlights. You know the numbers, the expenditures, and revenues and stuff like that. So in terms of uh, in terms of our fiscal performance for 2017, Singapore did extremely well, achieving a surplus of. 9.6 billion sing dollars and then this is this is more than five times the projected surplus of i think it was around 1.9 billion from a year ago which is absolutely incredible right so it was mentioned that uh, two huge factors that contributed to this uh, to this big surplus were due to the statutory board contributions so this is like this, these are contributions of, of revenue coming from, you know, our government ministries such as Ministry of Finance uh, and stuff like that, la, which brought in 4.9 billion Sing dollars against just 0.3 billion Sing dollars, which was expected, as well as an increase in stamp duty collections of 4.7 billion against 2.7 billion expected. Right, so otherwise, right, uh, corporate tax continues to be the top revenue generator in terms of operating revenue, bringing in 14.4 billion through, though net, net investment return contributions are still the highest in terms of overall revenue, bringing in 14.6 billion sing dollars. And on the spending side, amongst the categories of social development, security, and external relations, 
Economic Development and Government Administration, the biggest spending was still on social development, coming in at $31.2 billion. So this is a big, big category covering the likes of, you know, spending on uh, support for seniors, support for students, you know, general healthcare in, in Singapore and stuff like that. Uh, though the single largest targeted spending, which means spending on one particular area, was on national defense, which came in at $13.6 billion, with education slightly behind number two at $12 billion. So on the whole, Singapore's surplus amounts to about 2.1% of GDP, though it is worth noting that we had a primary surplus of $1.24 billion, which is just normal operating revenue, uh, you know, taxes, duty, tariffs, less expenditure, you know, the likes of development costs, civil servant salary, etc., etc., which overturned a two-year primary deficit span, deficit span in 2015 and 2016. All right, so Wesley, what do you think about the numbers? It's been a good year, right? Yeah, I suppose. I mean, it's it's all exceeded projections, and generally, you know, it seems like it, it, uh, the Ministry of Finance has put it in quite a positive note that we're doing uh, well fiscally. Hmm. Yeah. So, so just a point about the numbers, right? You know, this year a big factor that contributed to a huge, uh, huge surplus was the statutory board contributions and the stamp duty collections, right? Heng Sui Kit has has sort of uh, jumped the gun a little bit and uh, so, sort of stated that these huge contributions are, are going to be like sort of one-off. So we should not be expecting these uh, to continue into the future. Yeah. And on top of that, he was also expected total state expenditure to rise by 8.3% 8, 8. next year to $80 billion from $73.9 billion. So do you like... Do you, do you, do you, how, how do you find this sort of direction that the government is taking in terms of, you know, spending more in these areas, especially now that social development is already the biggest uh, category of spending? I, I think it's uh, it's an excessive like expenditure on social mm. and um, the fact that the government is taking on the responsibility of uh, public transportation uh, when it was actually private. Mm. Um, uh, and then somehow they think that uh, by taking over the, the the rail system uh it will somehow solve everything uh that's that's uh one of the contributors to our uh, increase in in spending yeah in in, in some sense it, it almost seems like you know the <laughs> our, our our big uh government overlords right they're trying to take on too much right yeah yeah Especially we've got so many, we, we have so many development plans coming up and also so many that have introduced and also so many that, that they, they just introduced in the policy in terms yep. of uh, development, you know, talking about building a lot of new medical centers, which will contribute a, a, a lot towards this uh, 8.3% rise, right? Mm -hmm. As well as also they announced last year uh, increases to the rail network, you know, all these different new lines popping up, yeah. which will hopefully make... <laughs> which will hopefully increase access, but you know, I'm, I'm guessing most Singaporeans will just be praying that trains don't break down <laughs> as often as they do now.
Yeah. All right. So now, now that we've gone through a sort of a brief overview, brief broad overview over the numbers in this year's budget, we're going to be doing sort of a deep dive into the really, really the key issues that were the, the key issues and policy that were introduced in this year's budget. And and I got I got to tell you, this year was certainly a bit of a surprise in terms of against expectations, right? We already mentioned. Uh, during the portion where we're talking about the budget overview, how you know uh, our fiscal performance exceeded to the uh, exceeded ex- expectations wildly, right? Well, yeah. this year's budget, right, in terms of how many policies were introduced, I think that exceeded expectations wildly as well. Like in, in the introduction, I talked about you know how they're gonna maybe touch on uh, on on you know raising the GST, trying to to tackle uh, taxing e-commerce, but we got that and so much more. And particularly one category, and the first first big policy, new policy that I want to talk about, right, is um, this one that is is called the carbon tax, right? Have you you heard about this, right, Wesley? Yep, I have. Yeah. So 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 what the carbon tax is, right, is a policy that is being pushed by the government, sort of promote like a more you know a, a greener city, you know, a more sustainable living sort of thing, right? Mm-hmm. The actual tax itself, what it is, is that all facilities producing 25,000 tons or more greenhouse gas emissions in a year will have to pay a carbon tax from 2020. So it will be initially set at about $5 per ton from emission of emissions from 2019 to 2023 and then they will you know they will review the the, the rates later on beyond 2023. Yeah, so so what are your initial thoughts on this uh on this new carbon tax? Well, it, first of all, I think uh it's it's a tax that would raise costs in many aspects. Yeah. Uh, you know, a carbon tax, yeah, on, on the surface, it seems like a good idea to yeah. kind of reduce carbon emissions to those big factories. Yeah. Um, but generally, it will increase costs for for, ev- for all of us yeah. in terms of uh, our electrical bills. Yeah. Um, you know, our, our power plants emit carbon uh, all the time. Uh, you know, factories, uh, you know, our our shops that they use electricity, you know, um, shopping centers, you know, every I think ac- across the board, um, prices for for goods and services will will rise in Singapore yeah. because of the cup. Yeah, yeah, and and I think this is a very very good uh, good point that you highlight, right? Because on 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 the surface, like you said, it seems like it's good for an environment, and even even you know when they introduce this uh, qualification that only facilities producing twenty five thousand tons. Or more of greenhouse gas emissions in a year, right? It seems like in most individuals, the majority of people in Singapore will not be affected at all, right? Yep. It seems like it's strictly targeting those, you know, really, really big, those, those evil, evil producers, <laughs> yes. those yeah. evil factories and stuff like that, right? Mm-hmm. Who, are, who are destroying the environment and stuff like that. But of course, you brought up the point about how it's gonna, how it's gonna sort of have this downstream effect of, uh, of affecting individuals, uh, uh, on, on the local level. And of course, the reason why this is so is because that if you take a deeper look at this, right, all those industries that are affected, you know, these are industries uh, such as petroleum refining, you know, such as chemicals, such as, you know, semi- semiconductor sectors. These are sort of industries that are, how, how should I put it, so, un- underappreciated in how much they contribute to Singapore's economy. Yes. In the sense that, in the sense that there so many, so much of their products, right, of, of what they are, they are, they produce goes and affects so many facets of, of our lives. 
right? You know, you, you already mentioned one, you know, talking about electricity, right? Yes. But petroleum refining goes into producing like stuff, stuff like oil, stuff like plastics, you know, chemicals goes into, you know, you know, stuff like, um, you know, our drinks, our food and everything, our, our drugs and semiconductors, of course, goes into all sorts of like electrical products, right? Mm-hmm. So, so this is sort of like the, the mechanism which, um, is sort of lost on most people if they just read this at face level. They seen this, they, they, they see this as like, oh, carbon tax is just going to try and take down all these, all these big bad factories, right? Make, yep. make them, uh, make them, uh, try, try to produce less or, or, you know, cut down on your emissions and stuff like that. But unless you, you really take a deep look into, into how important these industries are in, in the economy, you will never see that sort of downstream effect that it has and how it will sort of, uh, uh impact the day-to-day lives of individuals. And to be fair, you know, Mr. Heng Kit, right, our finance minister, he, he isn't sly about this at all. He understands the sort of underlying economics of all these industries and how, how important they are to the economy and how they will affect individuals, you know, with this downstream effect, right? Which is why in anticipation, he already mentioned that, uh, he, they already predicted, that, predicted that overall, uh, households will experience about a 1% increase in electricity and gas bills on average and that, you know, uh, Singapore will provide an, an increased use-safe rebate is sort of companion policy, right? Which is provided for three years to help HDB households uh, from 2019 to 2021. Yeah. Well, if you think about this policy, it's quite a self-defeating purpose, isn't it? Because on one hand, it's it, we're implementing a carbon tax. Yeah. But on the other hand, we're spending money to subsidize people who cannot afford or, or are barely getting by with the carbon tax. Yeah. Implement. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, what, what, what happens after 2021 is the question, right? Are they going to keep subsidizing? And, and I guess most people don't sort of, uh, don't, don't, won't sort of feel the pinch immediately. But this is, you know, incrementally adding to our cost of living. And, and, and also, when you, when you talk about how this is a little bit of a self-defeating policy, right? How they're sort of trying to get, generate more revenue from this, but also at the same time spending more in terms of rebates and stuff. You know, I, I, th- I thought it was no, I thought it was uh, quite bizarre uh, how Mr. Heng himself stated that he is prepared to spend more than the government will take in through the carbon tax. Oh, you know, other than other than providing rebates, right, for for all these uh, all these eligible households, right, they expect to take in around one billion, but they expect to spend a lot more through sort of other companion pal- policies. Uh, where the government will fund co- companies' efforts to sort of improve their energy efficiency, you know, with schemes such as the productivity grant and the energy efficient grant. You know, and I gotta say, right, well, well, on the surface, this seems like a positive step, positive step in trying to help companies with the increased production costs, right? It kind of feels like a very, I don't know, don't, don't you think that this is, this feels a little bit heavy handed by, by the government? Oh, yes, yes, it is. It's, it- um, it's just unnecessary spending yeah. just in, for the sake of uh, being a clean and green nation, which I don't see us uh, needing a priority for. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, like, I mean, like, you know, save, saving the environment and all is good, right? But yep. I don't know, in, imposing that cost on every single citizen. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. The- I mean, if you want to be clean and you you want to be clean and live a, a green life, sure, that that's fine for you. But you know, forcing everyone to try to live the same life and share the same values that you do seems like a very uh, heavy-handed approach, yeah. la, I would say. So yeah, if you look at this carbon tax, right, um, it, it is quite an authoritative approach to to kind of coerce the masses mm. together 
to, to kind of work together to some sort of noble ideal or vision. Uh, and, and, you know, the top-down approach doesn't always really work. Hmm. Uh, one, one example is the uh, Singapore Kindness Movement, which had failed miserably. Yeah. Uh, I don't think we are a much kinder society today. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. Certainly when you, you know, read Straits Times or the new paper, <laughs> it's not difficult to find yes. articles, you know, where, where youngsters, you know, hurl insults or don't give their seats up for senior citizens and stuff oh, like that. Or, or, or yeah. when bike companies came in and they started throwing bikes off. Like, yeah, and- yeah. Oh my God, why do people do that? <laughs> Yeah, you know, but 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 when you're talking about all this, like you know, uh, authoritative approach, you know, this top-down level kind of thing, it kind of kind of brings me, and and you're talking about the failure of the Singapore kindness movement as well, right? It kind of kind of reminds me of so many different other other things that the the government has tried to introduce over the years. You know, I'm starting to think. Uh, m- more recently, we had the the sort of controversy over this app called SG Secure, right? Which is that um, which is this app to sort of give alerts, I guess. Uh, on sort of uh, defense matters and stuff like that, yes. and and they made they made everyone who was in NS at the time made it mandatory for them to download yes. it on yes. their phone, <laughs> yeah. and they received so much flack from this flack uh, on this online, especially because yeah. particularly because of the approach, right? It, it, and it's not so much that the, the ideal is bad, you know. Certainly, for, certainly uh, warning people uh, that that dangers are coming, you know, is certainly a, a, a sort of responsibility that government is should take on. You know? yes. but but it's like sort of the the way that it did it is sort of uh sort of a and, not not the best and I believe yeah. the unintended consequence of of that was uh I believe people started switching out of using smartphones and started going back to their good old Nokia phones. <laughs> Seriously. Yeah. Yeah. Oh wow. <laughs> you know, it's it's better to 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 be at home and not be annoyed by some app on your phone. You know, rather <laughs> just have a basic phone that's meant to call and text. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Alright, now that we've touched on the carbon tax, right, I want to move on to talk about what I think is certainly the biggest controversy or the biggest highlight of this year's budget, which is the, which is the GST increase, right? So, Wesley, what, what, what is exactly is this policy? So, this policy states that um, our GST will increase from 7 to 9%, starting mm-hmm. from sometime between 2021 and 2025. Mm. And and one of the main highlights that our list of finance uh, stated was that because of our expenditures, mm. uh, we still have some deficit gaps. Mm. And one of the ways to combat that uh, sustainably mm. uh, is to pre- is to increase our GSTs. Mm. Yeah. So to in order to float a a balanced budget, as you like to say, uh, it is necessary to increase it to nine percent with all the Benefits that we're getting from all these government benefits that we're getting, all these programs. Uh, yeah. 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 So, so, so you you mentioned the the point about increased state spending, right? Yes. What what exactly are we going to be spending on? Oh, we will be spending on a multitude of things. Uh, one of uh, I'll I'll just name a few. Uh, one of the big policies was to encourage uh, the spirit of giving, mm. where. Uh, the government will match uh, dollar for dollar donations. Hmm. Uh, that obviously adds to our fiscal spending. Yes. Um, increase uh, healthcare spending. You know we have a lot of the 
uh, new uh, insurance programs for, mm. for the elderly, mm. elder shield, and uh, recently it was like MediShield Life. Mm. Uh, and and the 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 main cake of it, the the one that takes up most of our spending, was the increased cost of uh, our defense budget. Because mm. uh, uh, there is a uh, uh, the, the the government believes that we are increasingly uh, threatened by international. Uh, we, we have increased international threats, mm. um, and well, basically the uh, rail infrastructure that, that the government has taken over, yeah. and and budgeting for Terminal Five. I don't even know why we need a Terminal Five. <laughs> uh, so, and, and yeah, so so this is the enhanced proximity grant. So these are lots of social spendings that we, we that the government is is pumping into the economy, yeah, and contributing to our, to our rise of our. Uh, of our GST. Yeah, yeah. It's certainly, I, I think, um, you know, you, you mentioned a lot of these uh, state spending issues, right? A lot of state expected state expenditure to come in the future from uh, going yes. everywhere from transportation to healthcare to defense to education, you know, even to, ex- and even the, the housing, right? Whereby now, yeah. <laughs> it, was, it was a policy introduced this year that now singles can apply for this uh, enhanced proximity housing grant. Right. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And yes. and they even and uh, even increase the the distance from your parents' home, which in which you can apply yes. for a grant to purchase a resale flat. So all of these uh, state spendings, right? And yet the reaction to this, I think, has been com- mostly vehemently one-sided, right? So the, yeah, I I believe uh, most Singaporeans would take these uh, programs quite positively, mm. but they would. On the other hand, complain on the rise of GSD. Yeah, yeah. And of course, you know, all this state spending is good in the long run, right? But <laughs> increasing the GST is, will, will affect your day-to-day living on, on, for, for almost every individual because all your purchases are all impacted by the GST, you know, when you buy food, when you buy clothes, you know, and, and et cetera, et cetera. And, and the, the, the reaction online uh, has been absolutely incredible in terms of how much uh, flack the government has received uh, for this. Uh, of course, you know some some of them may may not may not be so well reasoned. Some of them may be a bit too emotional. Some of them are pretty rational. You know. So so, but but what's your take on this, Wesley? What do you think about this uh, policy and the reasons behind it? So so my take on the policy, I think it's really just unnecessary expenditure on the government and you know hmm. especially on on the spirit of giving policy. Hmm. You know, government is meshing. It's like uh, it's like a for one of their policies, it was part of it was like they're gonna match three dollars to one dollar mm. per, per donation. Yeah, and a lot of that is gonna add to a cost. Yeah. and what I don't really get is, um, why does the government have to push for us to be an altruistic society? Mm. Uh, are we such a broken society? Do we have such broken cultures that we don't have the spirit of giving, you know, inherent in us yeah. to give back? Yeah, that's, right. yeah, that's such a that's such a, a profound point actually. Is that is that is that if you're being forced to or, or being incentivized to do to be kind, and, and this this goes back to the, the the kindness movement and and you know this top down approach uh, issue again, right? Yeah. Is that if you're being incentivized to do all these things by the government, you know, it doesn't make us kind in turn. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the other the other contributions to to our increased spending is is the government takeover of our rail infrastructure. Mm. 
I found it really unnecessary. Uh, you know, if the government had not um, create controls to our fares, mm. to our like, transportation fares, and let let the rail system be a private enterprise, mm. you know, it, we would be able to emulate what the, the Japanese have done, mm. where they have such efficient trains, where the, where the train companies are are liable to their customers, and therefore they continuously innovate and improve and, and give top notch efficient services yeah 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 this is an interesting point as well you know i covered i covered the uh, mrt stuff in a pre- previous episode and you know to, to to many people who sort of still see the mrt as a business that tr- is profit run and tries to you know steal the consumer's money at, at their own profit right and line, <laughs> line the shareholders at the exp- at the expense of consumers right that's always the narrative that they use yeah, I mean, yes, I mean, I've also written piece on on the the MRT issue as well. Yeah, it's 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 a, it's a it's a bit ridiculous to have that point of view now, since that since that for one, all the rail tracks have been take have been bought over by by the government, but bought over by the LTA, and that the yes. the, the MRT corporation itself is hundred percent owned by a government entity, the Masek. Right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so, so to say that they are a private business is that's a really, really I think it's a stretch, though. You know. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So, <laughs> so, so, yeah. So, you know, other citizens, of course, they share your know, sort of. I, I don't think they they are so so much sharing your sentiments on the excessive spending part. Yeah. But more so on like the whole how how you know it's going to be more expensive for everyone, right? Yes. Day to day living cost is going to be more expensive, and of course. The government, they know, they, they, of course, in the game of politics, you have to be ready for this when you introduce GST increases. So to introduce any tax increase will be unpopular. Yep. And so to sort of like counteract this, they introduce this, uh, this one-time cash voucher of, I think it's between a hundred, hundred to three hundred dollars. Can you tell us more about that? Uh, yeah. So I don't, I don't see like what's the point of the, the, the Hong Pao or the one-time Hong Pao thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, it was like 20th of February, Straits Times reported that, you know, it, the first quarter of FY 2018 will be dipping into a slight budget deficit. Hmm. Uh, so why are we dishing out like previous years, like budget surpluses? You know, why haven't we channeling that money into our, you know, budget itself and, and preventing like such unnecessary spendings as well? Or maybe it could, it could even like, you know, be, mitigate the, uh, the, the excessive, uh, the, the increased expenditures that mm. are to come in the future. Mm. And, and yeah. one thing I would like to say is, so, you know, these social programs, they, they, they entice the, the masses. You know, the, the people are kind of, my, my sentiment I, I get from, from, from Singaporeans is that they're quite happy with the kind of social benefits that the government's handing out, especially mm. with like skills future, the, the increased uh, healthcare, uh, uh, investment into into the elderly, etc. Mm. Uh, and and they all seem quite happy about it. Um, mm. But but when it comes to the GST increases, they they they're not they're upset. You know, they they're, they're <laughs> happy with free handouts, but they're not you know willing to pay for it in the long yeah. run. Yeah, it's sort of sort of uh, being unrealistic, uh, Trying to have your cake and eat it too, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Actually, actually, on that note, right? I, I sort of have a different reaction sort of a different sentiment on uh, a different uh, view on on how people have been reacting 
Uh-huh. I thought that I thought that even with the, all these new new uh, sort of social spending policies that the government has introduced, people are still clamoring for you know more ways to serve the needs of the of the needy, help the help those who are disadvantaged in society, you know, give them a, a level playing field and stuff like that. Basically, advocating for more sort of um, uh, state control in in, in determining uh, equal outcome, la, You know. So, so they're saying that uh, the government is not doing enough for society. Yeah, after yeah, all yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. And, 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 you know, if you, if you go through all the different, all, all the, the lists of, of policies that the government has introduced, the many ways that they're trying to help us improve, uh, uh, as, uh, employees as well as, as citizens, right? You know, you, you mentioned all these skills future grants and, and stuff like that. And there's so many like different grants for businesses and stuff like that. But the thing about the thing about Singapore's policies uh, in, on this front is that they've never been like sort of pure welfare. They've never been a sort of pure welfare welfare model yeah. in their in the sort of hot handouts that they give. So so in in, in a way, I'm I'm sort of more favorable on on the type of policies that they dish out. I would rather if they were to do something, I would rather they do something like like you know introduce for example skills future, right? Mm-hmm. It's not not the government giving you five hundred dollars. It's giving you five hundred dollars that you have to use. To spend on ways to improve yourself. Yes. Right. Yep. So, so essentially, essentially, you you have to still take, you have to still uh, spare some stake in it, lah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you still have to make the decision. You still have to bear the risk. You think I think it's good, lah. Yeah, because because it sort of uh, encourages us to to go out there and try to better ourselves. At the same time, it sort of alleviates our cost our cost a bit. Of course, in the long run, you know, you keep introducing policies like this, people will keep de- keep becoming more dependent. You keep asking more and more. Yes. Yeah. Which which is which will add to more even more increased social spending. Yeah. I think I think some some people were already you know, Hing Suke himself mentioned right that before the before giving the budget speech, there were some citizens that were already asking, are we going to be getting Ong Pao this year? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think it's not a very very healthy mindset and sort of promoting your own independence uh, in that sense. Yeah, and, and the other take I have on the skills future is that, uh, you know, everyone. Is entitled to this uh, skills future uh, program, um, but you know why can't the individual make their own decision and and be left freely to decide you know what what program is good for me and and go and research and, and find out for my for, for myself and and improve myself you know you know yeah an individual has to take responsibility for his own uh, his own life and his own future right uh, why why imposing yeah. Uh, such uh, things on on the individual, and I think you you create some sort of divide. Um, you know there are, there are, there are plenty of people maybe up up there at the top management where they don't really need skills future, and you kind of create like you know taxpayers for these skills skills future program, and then you get the tax consumers that will just hmm. really use up all these programs, and you kind of create like this sort of a class divide between the, the people as well. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's all true. Yep. You can bring up a very, very uh, poignant, uh, suddenly an unintended consequence, right? If that were to really uh, take place now. Yeah. 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 All right. So I think we've done enough uh, discussion on the GST increase. Overall, not many people are too happy. They want more. Sp- they want more government spending, but of course, they don't want the sort of consequences of what <laughs> that spending will <Yeah>. entail. <laughs> 
and they and they even want more, and they still want more spending from the government. Yeah, <laughs> because they're not happy with this sort of semi welfare. I'll call this like a fifty fifty percent welfare kind of policies, lah. Yeah, yeah. Which which yeah. I don't really get because uh, I think when Lee Kuan Yew started out the nation, he was very against a welfare state. Hmm. Uh, he was very clear cut and said that you know you have to work for your own well being. Yeah. And the state's not gonna give you free handouts. Yeah. But I don't understand like why our government is transitioning more and more into a welfare state. Yeah. Altogether. Yeah. So so if you if you were to read, you know, certainly people commenting on Facebook or people commenting on Reddit or people commenting online in general, right? Some some would say, you know, this is more getting on with the times, right? <laughs> like in Lee Kuan Yew in Lee Kuan Yew's time it was all about fiscal being fiscally conservative, you know, setting up for yourself. Uh, you know, and, and stuff like that, you know, empowering the individual. Nowadays, it's all about, you know, trying to serve the needs of the many and, and, uh, fighting for social justice and stuff but, like that. You know, yeah. You what, know. what, what, what does it mean by getting on with the times? What has changed from the past to now? Uh, aren't we all still striving, you know, for the best, striving to survive and trying to get the nation, you know, it, it, it the nation building progress is ongoing. Mm. You know, I, I do, the getting on with the times mm. argument is, Kind of weak. <laughs> <It's>, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. That, that, that's not my argument. That's just how I perceive, right. you know, the, the sort of uh, yeah, the sort of uh, naysayers against this uh, uh, sort of more fiscally conservative approach, now. Yeah. yeah, yeah. All right. So let's move on to the last policy, the last big, big policy that we're going to be talking today, and that is this new policy that is introduced. Again, it's another tax, but this one is a tax on imported services. Alright, so from 2020 onwards, GST will now be imposed on imported digital services. So this is a new policy, uh, brand new introduced, and I want to be very clear on what it is and what is what it is not. So unlike you know comments made by ministers beforehand and and sort of how I introduced in the the earlier on right about how they were trying to tax e-commerce, this will only affect services and not the sale of goods for companies that do not have a presence in Singapore. So to put it in context, right, if you buy a bag on Taobao from an overseas seller, you don't have to pay GST, right? If, once this, once this uh, policy kicks in. Lah. But if you are purchasing online marketing services or, you know, uh, stuff like web hosting or, you know, an online subscription from an overseas provider to promote your goods on Taobao, then you will have to pay GST. So in this sense, right, this text is targeted at two... Uh, categories of services, sort of, you know, business to business types such as marketing, accounting, IT, management, all these like online services with, uh, online services which have been flourishing, uh, in, in the past, you know, uh, decade or so, uh, as well as business to consumer services such as video and music streaming, you know, your apps, your software and online subscription fees, uh. So basically, all, all these, all these, um, good, all these services that uh, a lot of us are starting to use or starting to depend on more more nowadays. We'll we'll be uh we'll be taxed on this once this policy kicks in. Also, uh, for service providers and electronic marketplace operators, right? So they will need to be registered with IRAS uh, if they have annual sales exceeding one million sing dollars, and if they have digital sales of services to Singapore Singaporean consumers exceeding a hundred thousand sing dollars. So to recap. This policy imposes the GST goods and services tax, 
which is uh once twenty twenty comes, it might still be it might be seven percent. It might already have jumped to nine percent. So it imposes this tax on services purchased from online vendors who do not have a presence in Singapore. So for consumers, this means paying you know seven or nine percent more for apps or streaming subscriptions, and for businesses. This means paying, you know, nine percent more for marketing, accounting, web hosting, and so on. Yeah. So, so Wesley, on a on a broad basis, you know, what do you think of this kind of policy? Um. Well, to look at it this way, this this policy, you know, in a way, is like, what, why are we penalizing uh, consumers for consuming uh, entertainment goods? So, because mm. it's a it's a service that that is being taxed, right? So yeah. most of most of the services that we use on a day-to-day basis would be like Netflix or, or Apple Music yeah. or you know Spotify, yeah. uh, and you know consu- uh, producers of these services they, they know that these uh, you know the, the the taxation will be pushed onto the onto the consumers. Yeah. And so in some sense, we are paying the extra uh, tax mm. for these for for the for for the use of uh, entertainment. Mm. Uh, so in some sense like why is the government penalizing us for, for using entertainment, enjoying entertainment for our leisure time. Yeah. Uh, the other thing is for for business business to businesses, um, you know, why why are we penalizing businesses for using uh, goods and uh, services mm. itself uh, that have a comparative advantage from overseas, you know? Yeah. Like, uh, Firms that that do it better than than firms in Singapore, why are they being penalized with the extra uh, GST tax for for using better you know marketing services or or consulting services etc. Yeah, et yeah, 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 exactly. I, I, I think I think you're spot on 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 this uh, on this matter, especially considering both from the consumer side and the business side. And you know, you know, I want, I want to talk about the the consumer side more now, right? It's like mm-hmm. consider this, you know. As a consumer, right, when you when you subscribe to Netflix or, or you know Apple Music or some online subscription stuff like that, right? Yep. You know what 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 is what is the thing that that convinces you to buy it? It's certainly not whether that product has GST or not, right? <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> and, and and the the immediate thing that jumps to you is you know how 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 much value you can derive from this from this company service. Yep. Right. Like so 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 in that sense. You subscribe to Netflix because for one for one time monthly payment you get you get access to a whole array of uh, of movies and videos. Yep. And, and you can watch them you can watch them as much as you want, right? Mm-hmm. The same with uh, Spotify as well. Yep. Right. Yeah. So so to say, which is to say that you know a company's competitive advantage and how they succeed uh, in the marketplace, it really comes from how much value they can deliver. Its own value pro- proposition. Right? Yep. Not for some. You know, policy that, or policy or tax that the government introduces. You know, you know, just, just because, just because you're, you're now not GST, uh, you, you, just because now you don't have GST doesn't make you a better or, or more attractive, just doesn't make you better or more attractive cons- to consumers or businesses now, right? Yes. And the reason why I want to talk about, you know, this idea of competitive advantage and the value proposition, right? Is that underlying this, uh, new GST policy, this new policy on imported services, is that is, is there sort of a tone of uh, protectionism being introduced by by the government in the sense that you know Mr. You know Hengsikwe was talking about this when he noted how this uh, policy is to sort of ensure that low imported and local services are quote accorded the same treatment right yes but I don't think that it is proper for the government to set a precedent to local companies right 
But they, by saying that they will help them to sort of level the playing field. I mean, I, I think this kind of, uh, this kind of policy just incentivizes more sort of crony capitalist behavior where companies would rather go to the government and, you know, to rather go to the government to shield off competitors than try to innovate and upgrade and invest in themselves. Yep. You know, and, and really, uh, if Singaporean companies want to flourish, right, they should really take a hard look at themselves. Think about how, think about their value proposition. Yes. And think about how they can better compete with these huge online brands such as Netflix or Spotify, rather than expecting a helping hand from government. Exactly. You know, you know, one, one thing, one, one great example here, right, is like local, we, we've seen how Uber is sort of, t- has sort of taken over so many markets, introducing their, their Uber app into so many markets around the world. Mm-hmm. But how, right, local uh, competitors in areas such as Singapore, where we have Grab, yep. or Indonesia, where we have Gojek, right, mm-hmm. they're fighting back by becoming a more localized platform that can serve their consumers better, provide a much a much uh, greater value proposition to its own uh, customers because it knows the, the consumers better than than Uber does. Exactly. This this is what this is what I mean by by competing and providing a value proposition. Yes. And and you know you know so certainly certainly in some respect, right? Maybe there there have been some investment from some government fund here and there. You know, maybe they, they took some subsidy here and there. But their approach has not been to cry to to cry to government when Uber came in and, and they were they were a big player with a huge, huge funding, right? Yes. You know. They're not not to cry to them, but to try and invest and constantly improve to with all these new uh, sort of promotions and and uh, and uh, features, you know, they have now grab pay and in, in Chinese New Year they have all these like on pao things going on, right? Yeah. Yeah. So so this is how they have sort of competed and, and this is sort of like I think the model that local companies should take. Yeah. Rather than rather than expecting um, government to sort of introduce policies to help them yeah. fight back, huh? uh, yeah. yeah the, the point I want to bring up is also that protectionist policies, you know, like these, hmm. you know, gives gives our local companies so, some sort of complacency to not innovate. Yeah, <clears throat> they can they can they, they know that they have that uh, protection of uh, of a lower tax. Yeah, and they, they're not taxed with the uh, imported services tax, and and they could kind of you know, kind of be a little bit more complacent than the overseas companies. Yeah. And not strive to innovate, which is something quite ironic because um, one of the key highlights by the Minister of Finance was that uh, he wants to push Singapore to be a capital of innovation, right? Mm. To, to, to push technology, to, be, to, to make Singapore uh, <clears throat> an, an innovation hub, basically. Mm. Uh, and, and I find this policy to to go against this idea of an innovation, innovative society and and uh, country altogether. Yeah, yeah, that 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 that's an you know a really great point that you brought up, because you know you know, I don't think people are really aware of the sort of effects that this kind of policy will bring, right? Yeah. I mean, for for one, uh, it is it is extremely tremendous for startups and smaller companies that they're able to purchase these online services for their business. Yeah. You know, this is as, you know, it's all, for all these small companies, right, your your resources are already so constrained, so limited. And if you're able to outsource back office functions, you know, such as accounting, la, HR, la, web, website design, la, yep. this allows entrepreneurs to, to focus more on what their core product is and how can how they can deliver better value for their own customers. Mm-hmm. Essentially, essentially, you know, 
doing what Grab does uh, yeah. and, and, and try, trying to invest in yourselves, make your product better. So if you increase the cost of all these online services, right, this increases the burden on these already cash-strapped you know, new businesses. Yeah. And then it increases the barriers to entry and stuns the growth of new businesses, uh, which is exactly the point you brought up about how it's sort of uh, uh, counteract con- counter to the point of innovation. Yes. Yeah. Oh, as as you were saying about how much more difficult it is to be an entrepreneur now, and how much more difficult it is for SMEs. Uh, one of the policies that the government has brought up, uh, introduced uh, recently, is the open inno- innovation platform. Mm. Uh, so this this is like a platform where they they allow companies to to push out to the market mm. their problems, and and then whichever companies that have the solutions to this, this company's problems, they could come in and, and, and seek out the solution for them. Hmm. But then again, you also brought up the, the, the uh, problem that SMEs and, and small-time entrepreneurs have, are, are extremely cash-strapped. Hmm. So the problem with the open innovation platform is that it is restricted to a local market. It is the Singaporean market. Hmm. And, and they could have easily found you know the same solutions provided by the, uh, another company from overseas for a cheaper price. Mm. So this is not a very uh, strong uh, policy to kind of aid the, the process of uh, uh, seeking solutions for, for companies and small-time entrepreneurs. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. I mean, it seems kind of ridiculous that, you know, if you're going to make it more expensive for for these sort of businesses to survive, right, mm-hmm. that you sort of try... <laughs> You sort of try to give them uh, uh, an inferior solution with all these uh, yeah. crowdsourced solutions. Yeah. I mean, I mean, it's, it's, you, sure, it sounds it sounds great that you have this open platform where you throw a problem and people will help you find it, right? Mm-hmm. But there's there's the, there's always the issue of incentive. There's always the issue of constraint. I mean, n- nothing happens for free, right? You yeah. can't expect like you have a big problem, you throw it on this platform, and and suddenly like like a a a, a, a CEO or some a manager or some CFO suddenly comes in, hey, I will help you for free. <laughs> yeah. Who's who's gonna who's gonna say that? Yeah. Right. If they're gonna spend their time doing this, they're gonna charge you also, right? Yeah. Yeah, and it's 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 another sort of uh, it's another sort of um, a, pro- a protectionist policy, sort of like yeah. trying to help promote trying to promote the, the local players more and stuff like that. Yeah. Which which I don't think it's uh it's good if you consider that if they could have gotten a cheaper at a better option already out there in the market. Yes. Why do you have to resort to this one that is, is it not not very uh, sort of guaranteed la, yeah. kind of solution? Yep. Yeah. As we're coming to the uh, the close of this episode, right, I just want to do a sort of brief wrap up of what we've gone through today, because we suddenly discussed a lot of points, right? Yeah. So at the top, we discussed the budget highlights. You know how we did extremely well fiscally. What were the big spending points? What were the big uh, revenue items and stuff like that? And then from then on, we moved into tackling individual policy issues. We tackled three that were that we thought were the key issues of this budget. The first being the carbon tax, which introduced a new uh, tax on uh, greenhouse gas emitters. 
uh, from 2020 onwards. Second being the GST increase and you know all the reactions and all the effects that are to come of this, which are, which is projected to increase from 7 to 9% sometime from 2021 to 2025. And then lastly, which t- we touched on the the new tax, which is the GST on imported services, which is newly announced, newly announced, which is that from 2020, uh, GST will be will be imposed on imported digital services. And you know, throughout the course of this episode, right, um, me and Wesley have been you know sort of critical of all these policies that have been introduced. They've been introduced, especially the, you know the carbon tax, the GST, and so on, right. But I, I just want to be—I just want to be clear and transparent on this matter. I'm critical because I am this critical and this overtly critical because I am sort of more fiscal conservative in my position. I believe that you know individuals should have the liberty and to to determine their own happiness and that government as much as possible to try to stay uh, out of our lives, lah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. and uh, just just to add to it, um, you know, the government likes to kind of. Uh, kind of play off uh, this whole budget process as if they are like you know that they are fiscally responsible you know trying to keep mm. a budget surplus uh, and everything. Yeah. But you know with all these new policies introduced, uh, you know, it, it, and and then we have to increase our GST as a result of all these new policies. It, it isn't really a fiscally responsible approach to to handling our our budget altogether. Yeah, yeah. It seems it really, really seems like you know. You, earlier, earlier you mentioned how Lee Kuan Yew during Lee Kuan Yew's time he really preached the ideals of being fiscally responsible, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Now we've gone a little bit more sort of uh, liberal on that yes. front yes. in promoting different ideals of you know uh, e- e- equality and justice and trying to help the needy and sort of sort of these sort of things. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Which seems to me. To have that, that it will have sort of far-reaching consequences, especially as we have witnessed, you know, in recent years, how the state has been growing bigger and bigger and bigger. Yeah. Not in just not in terms of just their their spending, but in terms of how how much they they are involved in so many different assets of our, our facets of our life. Yes. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. It can be it can be quite scary. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it is on that somber note that brings the end to today's episode. Thank you once again to Wesley for being such a wonderful guest on the show. I wish you the very best for your studies and the innovation campaign. All right, thank you for having me. So lastly, before you go, right, is there anything we can look forward to uh, for your project or you know where listeners can reach you? Sure, uh, you could find me on Facebook. Uh, just search up the innovation campaign. Uh, that's mm-hmm. where you could keep up to date uh, to the latest uh, innovative tech stuff, uh, you know, mm. new technologies that are coming up locally and abroad. Mm. Uh, and also, if you really want to find out more about the permissionless, innova- uh, permissionless innovation policies, please mm. do check us out. Uh, that's where I could uh, give you more information on, on what, what it is about and what, what the perm- uh, what innovation campaign is about. Yeah, sounds great. I'll, I'll leave a link in the description so so that you can conveniently find so that people out there can li- conveniently find it. Great. Yeah. All right. So to all the listeners out there, thank you so much for tuning in. If you want to help out the podcast, you can do so by liking, sharing, and subscribing to the Economical Rice podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, or Stitcher. Or you can leave any feedback or questions on the various social media pages such as Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. This has been your host, Danny, at the Economical Rise Podcast with guest Wesley. Wherever here, we have to serve you the grains of capitalism.